1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. That's going to be the chunk uh, that we are going to uh, go through today. And we do have a baptism, so hang out. We got someone getting dunked. Sean uh, completed the uh, starting point class, and he's getting in the water after service today. So I'm going to try to, amen, I'm going to try to uh, get through, not just get through it, but uh, get through it and have some time for the baptism. The series title, uh, get your Bibles online, get your coffees, run around, do what you got to do, and uh, let's get ready for some preaching. Uh, The series title that we picked is, Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? Last week we talked about, Are We There Yet? Chosen but Exiled. Chosen but Exiled. When we looked at chapter 1, what we, what we saw, the author, who, who wrote First Peter? Does anybody know? Oh, good job. Man, that was a good one. That was low-hanging fruit. Now, I'm just trying to see if you're, if you're paying attention. So Peter writes this book primarily to Gentiles. There's a lot to that now. Knowing that it wasn't written primarily to a Jew- Jewish audience, we know this based on the geography of where the circulation of this letter was going. Uh, modern-day Turkey is really where it was, and we talked about that. So considering the fact that it was written to a primarily uh, primary Gentile audience, we can really find, uh, find a home in this book. We can really find some helpful things to equip us today uh, that will help us today, but only if we look at Scripture in its context. We can't just lift a verse out and say, yeah, I'm going to take that for what I think it means. No, no, no. We have to take Scripture for where Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit and the audience in which he was delivering that to, and then find if, if it applies to us and how it applies to us today, okay? So we, we really unpacked a lot, and I say all that to say, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And, and listen to that first message, because I'm not going to be able to uh, review all of it. But I will review this one thing here. And that is, uh, we talked about last week, future promises to what? Say it with me. Future promise to focused priorities. And here's what we're doing. The, the title of it is, Are We There Yet? This series, what we're talking about is, is the spiritual journey that we're traveling. How many are on a spiritual journey? Yeah, we all are. Uh, we are uh, one way or another on this spiritual journey, and I think that uh, we need to make sure that the Lord is pleased with how we're traveling. Um, we talked about last week that the question that children often ask is, are we there yet, right? Are we there yet? Anytime you take a road trip, Daddy, are we there yet? Uh, I have three that it's just constant from the back of the seat. Unless there's a movie on or something like that, it's just, are we there yet? Are we there yet, right? And so I feel as though from this passage of Scripture, the suffering is the main theme. And so you get the idea that Christians are saying to their spiritual leaders, are we there yet? Are we there yet? God, are we there yet? Have we reached a destination? And the answer is yes and no. The answer is, yes, you have reached a final destination. Peter uses words like, uh, you're chosen, you're elect, you've been placed in a family. Yes, you're there. Yes, you've arrived, but but not yet. Uh, There's still more work to be done. There's still miles to be traveled. And so if you're sitting here today, if you're under the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, know that the Lord is not done with you. If you are in a spirit of despair, if, if you're in this moment where you feel like you're, you're, you're just ready to give up, there's no more uh, here for you to do. If you're alive, if you're living, if you're here, if you're listening to what I'm saying, the Lord is not done. 
He is not done with you. He has, yes, a future promise, right? And that is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to redeem his church. He's going to really bring, bring weight to everything that we're doing right now. But really, that should become a focus priority right now. We talked about what are those focus priorities? There, it's holiness, right? It's, it's reverence for the Lord and it's acceptance for where we are in this journey. So uh, hopefully many of you are at this place where you're like, okay, all right, Pastor Matt, I'll accept what the Lord has for me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to enter into this journey. I'm not going to keep asking, are we there yet? I know that God has a plan. We're going to move forward. Well, today I want to focus on this. I want to focus on in this, this thought of are we there yet, riding in style, riding in style. Man, if we're going to be on a journey, we might as well ride in style. And so we find that Peter shifts focus in chapter 2, and where we're, where we're going to pull up short today is verse 17. And, and really, in, in these moments, he's going to talk about how we ride and what that looks like. Uh, and there were some really interesting words that were in this passage that I felt like are, are super important that I want you to get. But here's how we're going to do it today. Um, we're going to read 1 through 17, all, this, all those scriptures together, and then we're going to go back and we're going to work our way through. Are you cool with that? All right, it's, it's 17 verses, so I figured we would just read them together today. Here we go. Therefore, look at it, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Get your Bibles, let's go, or it'll be right here on the screen. Uh, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him a living stone, say those two words with me, a what? Living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood. Listen to that wording there, are being built. Yes, we're there, but not yet right, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, this is going to be so neat to unpack, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And I'm missing my, uh, here we go. (laughs) So honor will come to you. This is a little bit new for me, so bear with me. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the what? The cornerstone. And a stone to what? Stumble over. Don't miss this. And a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. You see, there's like a, there's this journey happening, right? Some have established a cornerstone. Others, that stone that was there for their foundation became a what? Stumbling block, right? A stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They, they were destined for this. But you, <laughs> but you are a chosen race, race a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his possession, 
so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Some of y'all need to underline that verse. You need to circle it. You need to cut it out, blow it up, and put it on your fridge, on your rearview mirror, paint it on your car. Maybe that's a little much. I don't know, but you're a, a holy nation a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The word of God's so good, y'all. It is so good. Once you were not a people. Let's, let's all have that reminder right now. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have what? Received mercy. Oh my goodness gracious. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now, now we're seeing who this letter is primarily to, right? So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. And will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority. Because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those who were sent out to him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by what? Mm -hmm. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. We're going to talk about that portion a little bit more next week, not, not as much this week. But we see here that there's this, there's this traveling or riding in style. There's a way that we ought to what? Live. Do you get the sense of what the author is saying? Let's go back to verse number one. Let's go back to verse number one. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this up here, uh, this title screen here. Chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all what? Slander. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray right now that you would move in our midst. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. I pray, Father, that he would charge our spirits up. Father, make us children of the light. Father, allow us to ride in the way in which you want us to ride. Help us to do the work that you want us to do. Father, there are some in this room that are struggling with strongholds this morning. And Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can be set free of those. But that's by the power of your word, not their own. Father, I pray that you would work in our midst. Forgive us of where we failed you, but Father, help us to see the victory that you have already owned for us. Father, help me to say the things I should and not say the things I shouldn't. Keep the devil far from this place. Open our hearts. May we be good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's work through this. You ready? Verse number one, I'm going to be straight with you this morning. I'm going give to give it to you the way the word of God gave it to me. Chapter two, verse number one, it says, therefore rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. I'm just gonna be straight with you. You ready? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Peter comes out of the gate and he says, listen, you're chosen 
living in exile. You're, you're chosen people. The Lord uh, has saved you. He, he's picked you up out of the mess that you were in, and there ain't no reason to run back to that mess. You should be different. There are things that you should get rid of. If I'm going to own you, if I'm going to go before you, if I'm going to pay your way, then don't spit on me. Don't despise me. Don't walk in another path when I've made the path clear for you. How many Christians are over in the wilderness just getting slapped in the face with all the branches and all the things of this world? And the Lord's like, I'm a pathfinder. I've made the path. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You've got a clear path through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God right here, and I'm ready for you to walk it. Just get rid of that path. Get rid of that way. What does he say to get rid of? He says the wrong things. If you just take that verse number one, it's all the wrong things. It's wickedness and evil, it's lying, it's envying, it's gossiping. As a Christian, as a believer, as someone who is, is looking to the Lord for your faith and your hope, listen, don't do those things. Just don't do it. Well, I think that the Lord will forgive me. <laughs> Let's take that moment for a... The Lord will forgive me. Sure he will, he already did forgive you. And the fact that you're running back... The fact that you're going back to it means that you're not celebrating the forgiveness, you're celebrating the sin. If you keep going back to it, it wasn't the forgiveness you were wanting, it's the desire to be fulfilled. It's the sin. Do you, do you get, maybe that's like a, it's such a simple concept, but we overshoot it sometimes. I'm just worried that the Lord will forgive me. I'm just worried that the Lord's going to you know, take care of my sins. Well, he absolutely did. But if you're running back to him, you're more concerned of the sin than the one who forgave you. So Peter says, listen, the first thing here, on this journey, you gotta get rid of some stuff. I think of like Jonah, right? I think of when, when the ship was going under and everybody's throwing all the stuff overboard. You know what I mean in that story of Jonah? Jonah and the whale and Jonah's like... The live stream's working, great, awesome. <laughs> but Jonah's standing there in the middle of the boat as the ship is being sunk, and he's going, no, guys, you're throwing the wrong thing overboard. It's me. I'm the one who's causing the ship to go down. And you all, it's funny to me, Christians, it's like, and you know I'm telling the truth. Don't you get mad at me and log off this live stream. You stay right there. Here's what happens. We go, well, I'm just tired. I need a little rest. I, I think, you know, two services is a little too much. Two services and an activity and a small group and a starting point. That's just a lot right now. I think I just need to pull back a little bit. No, you need to pull back in your sin. You don't need to pull back in the house of God. You don't need less word of God. You need more word of God and less word of Satan, less word of your sin, less word of your desires. And let me tell you something. If you wonder if the devil is, has left you alone, if you think it's really easy to do right, you're in the wrong place. He's, he, he done pulled the wool, slap over your eyes, and you're living in some kind of fairyland. You're not on this journey, right? This journey is real, and Peter says, look, look, get rid of it. You wonder why you can't be consistent in your thought patterns. You wonder why you can't be consistent in the word of God. You wonder why you can't be consistent to church and to your friends. You wonder why you can't be consistent to, the Lord will give you the power and the strength to be faithful in your relationships. But you have to be faithful to that forgiveness instead of faithful to that sin. If we were as faithful to the house of God as we were those pet sins and pet desires, we would flip Baltimore upside down 
I'm just telling the truth. If we, put, if we put as much into our relationship with the Lord as we do the relationship with the devil that he's got in our flesh, watch out. This is very simple, but we got to get rid of it. Are you in? Let's just get rid of it. Are, fair enough? Let's just get rid of it. Whatever it is, whatever you're like, okay, yeah, I'll get rid of it. In my own little way. <laughs> you know the Lord deals with people differently. We're so good at justifying our garbage. So good. God don't need your, he don't need your little semantics. He needs you to obey. Plain and simple. It's simple. We want to, my theology says it's okay. <laughs> my God says it's not. So there you go. The word of God's plain and simple. Just get rid of it. Get rid of those things. Well, what specifically are you, are you talking about? You know. If you wonder what it is, everybody right now, go in your heart right now and say, Holy Spirit, right now, close your eyes. Holy Spirit of God, reveal to me things in my life that should not be there. I just got one. What did he tell you? It's really simple. Ready? Get rid of it. Okay. Moving on, verse number two, watch this. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I have looked at this verse differently in the past, I'll say that. I've looked at this verse more as a religious caste system of newborn Christians needing milk and not allowing meat. I don't think that's what Peter's saying. After really committing myself to this passage and expanding it in its context and looking at what he's driving home as far as, far as the tenses and, and the grammar that he's using, what he's saying is here's an analogy that needs to apply to all of you. Based on the way this analogy and the way this sentence is structured, it's saying this should be constant in your life. As newborn babes have a craving for what makes them grow, that's how we, man, I'm kicking stuff. That's how we should be. Here, here's what I'm saying. Now read the verse. Read it again. Ready? Like newborn infants, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. It's not a tiered structure of saying, we're going to start you off with the little things, and then we're going to grow you into the big things. We gotta, here's my problem with that at this point in my life. We got a lot of people that, that claim to be people of the word that chew on the meat but are missing the milk every day. And that's why I don't see it as being applicable at this point in my ministry as saying it's, it's a standard of growth. It's saying that an infant knows and craves and will cry until, until that infant gets the milk that it needs because it's, it's lifeline. And so therefore, it's not a status that you ever get past. It is the word of God. It is something that we must have to grow. The infant doesn't get milk. The infant dies. The Christian on this journey that avoids the word of God and doesn't desire it and doesn't intake it, doesn't grow, doesn't live, dies. First, Peter says you got to get rid of the garbage, but you got to get the milk in. You have to desire the word of God. As newborn infants, desire the pure milk so that by it you may grow up into your what? Salvation. That is plain and simple English that this is a part of your journey. Helping, leading you to the end when the Lord comes back, your future promise, right? Verse 3, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, he's cueing something up here. You get that sense? So, verse one, get rid of wrong stuff. Number two, intensely crave the word of God. How many remember, maybe it's been a while since you've had it, I'm not necessarily, I, 
babe, you know what I'm saying here, but I'm not necessarily craving those moments where the babies wake you up all hours of the night. Like little birdies that, that want the worm. They know their bodies need that milk, right? Since when are our utterings, are our cries for more of the word of God? Just take that analogy and immerse yourself in it. Just put the goggles on and... <laughs> Since when, when was the last time your cries were because you just couldn't get enough? You wanted more. Th these words are life. Just in case you were wondering, remember how he closed out chapter 1. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures what? Forever. Forever. When was the last time our cries and our utterances were for the word of God? That we may grow, that we may be connected to our salvation, to what God has purchased for us. Intensely crave the word of God that you may be more like Jesus. Okay, those, those are what we really jump out of the gate here with 1 Peter. Now he's going to do some interesting things. Sometimes, do you feel like you're reading something in Scripture that you're like, I've heard that somewhere else. Does anybody experience that? You're like, I think that's somewhere else. What's happening is that this author is quoting the Bible. Isn't that neat? To know that they believed it and they owned it, the Septuagint or the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in their day, Peter Peter was a man of the book. Peter was a man, remember, that practiced what he preached. He wasn't someone in an ivory tower commanding people to suffer while he benefited. And also, he was a man of the word of God, just like he's commanding us to be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I think this is really neat. I want to draw out some things for you. Are you okay with that? You all right with that? Okay. All right, let's go to verse number three one more time. Look at verse number three. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, he's inciting a quote from the book of Psalms. Psalms 38, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 34, verse number 8. Let me get there here with this here computer. I'm going to put it right up on the screen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What does Peter say here? He says here in chapter 2, he says, verse number 3, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, and in Psalms chapter 34, verse 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes what? Refuge in him. So just let me help you with something. This is a complete picture, verse 1 to verse 17. Not one verse is in here on accident. Peter is trying to paint a picture for us so that we understand what he's saying. And this is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Why? The man who wrote this psalm, his name was David. King David. There's all types of references in this passage, a royal priesthood, a chosen but in exile. Are we, are we there yet? You're, you're not there yet, but, but on your way, you're a part of a royal kingdom. Not the kingdom of this world, but another kingdom. And what does Peter do? He carefully crafts from the Old Testament a passage when King David was being run out of town by King Saul. And if you remember the structure of the Old Covenant, within that, God said that the kings for, for Israel were to come from the tribe of Judah. 
That's why Jesus is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. That's the tattoo on my arm. It's the picture of, of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the tribe of Judah carries the kings. Saul was a Benjamite. We talked about this more in our study on Esther. So, so listen, the devil will always give you a lie. He'll always give you a version of how he wants you to live to, to give you a detour from traveling the way the Lord wants you to travel. And no matter how many times the children of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, no matter how many times they murmured, complained, deviated from God's plan, God always brought them back. God always brought them back. He used judgment, he used captivity, but he said this, listen, I have a plan for you. You are my people. You might not be able to keep the promise that you made to me, but guess what? I'm going to keep the promise that I made to you. And that promise was that the king would come from the line of David. So Saul of Benjamite finds out that David is anointed king. And, and remember the story, David has slain. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. He kills the giant. It's clear that the Lord's favor is upon David. He is anointed king, but guess what? The Lord's favor comes upon you. The Lord anoints you to do certain things. Guess what? The enemy's coming. A target is on your back. If you're a royal priesthood, guess what? I wonder how many uh, times that people in royalty, even today, are attacked or threats made on their life, right? It happens even in our context of government. Consider spiritual warfare. You are now birthed into the family of God. The devil hates you. He despises you. And here's what happened. David finds himself in this land. Fleeing from Saul, Saul was trying to kill him. And literally the king that was there in Gath finds out that it's David and David fears that the king of Gath is going to kill him. And literally David acts insane. The Bible says that he drools on himself. Do you remember this, Miss Cindy? She knows the Bible better than anybody. I'm telling you, she's amazing. I start telling the story and she's laughing. She knows it. David leans on the wall and begins to foam at the mouth and act crazy. I know you want me to try it right now, but I'm not going to do it. The point is, is that David acted insane, and guess what? The king dismisses him. He says, you know what? That guy's a kook. He couldn't handle the pressure. Just get him out of here. Get him out of my sight. And David walks away, and he goes, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person? They think I'm, like, happy, but I'm happy. Why? Because how happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Peter is inciting an Old Testament psalm where we find David literally feels like he has to act insane just to get away from the enemy. And let me tell you something right now, church. It doesn't matter what you look like to the world. It doesn't matter if you've got to let a little drool out. It doesn't matter if you have to take a stand. It doesn't matter if you have to say to them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to drink that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. To the world, you may look crazy, but to God, it's a refuge. It's a strong tower. It is a mighty fortress. Don't let the definition of the world define your character. Let the Lord define your character and he will be a refuge to you. That's what Peter's pulling from. He goes, listen, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about King David was literally acting nuts, but he knew he was a king. Listen to what I'm saying. He knew he was a king. Everybody may call you crazy. But one day every knee will bow. 
Maybe in this moment to the world, you're God's rule. I, I just can't believe you would believe. You think this book is true? Every last bit of it. I may look like I'm drooling to you, but I ain't drooling. This is truth. I'm a champion. Ooh, there it is. I was waiting to do that the whole time. The whole time. I came in this morning, I was like, hey, Aaron. He's like, what? I was like, can you sing that song, Champion? I really like that one. <laughs> I'm drooling right now. You got me. <laughs> I'm drooling. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The author is unpacking this scripture. Do you understand? He's unpacking the Old Testament in the New. I love this. In times of self-induced insanity, the Lord is good. Look at verse number four. He goes further. Are you ready? Look at verse number four. How many like this when you see the Bible come alive a little bit around, around the book? Look at verse number four. As, as you come to him, a what? A living stone. You think that one reference is he's done? No, he's about to do more. Watch it. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, as lively stones, a spiritual house, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacri spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Jesus Christ. For it is stated in Scripture, for it is stated in Scripture, so we find that he's about to pull something together, right? From another place. But what I love here, listen, we, we're blessed to live in this time period. And I don't mean it just from, from the goodness that you have. What Peter is saying is, I'm going to grab all the quotes from the Old Testament that say the same thing, and I'm going to actually tell you what they prophesied because it came true. Here, here's how. Isaiah 28, verses 16 through 17, read it with me. Therefore the Lord God said, look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable, and I will make justice the measuring line. I'm I'm telling you, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge, remember David's words, and water will flood your hiding place. Take, remember these, these words here. Therefore the Lord God said, I have laid a stone, a tested stone, a sure foundation. Look at Psalm 18, 1 through 4. It says this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love, what? Endures forever. Let Israel say his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his faithful love endures what? Forever. This is forever. Do you understand the context? He's saying that the psalmist is saying what I'm saying to you is going to last for what? Forever. It's not just the old covenant. This message is going to what? continue so my man David the psalmist he's got his bat remember Andres Galarraga remember that any of y'all baseball fans he's he's like this he's like guess what his faithful love endures forever and he crushes the ball and here's Peter in the new covenant with his glove and he catches it just a few years later he catches this message how do I know that? Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 118. This is the same passage. Ready? Stay with me. Psalm 118, verses 21 through 29. 
I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. Look at it. Same passage, the what? The stone that the builders rejected has become the what? He's, oh, check this out. Peter's, he's catching it and he's bringing weight to what these authors are saying. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard that quoted as a child. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Remember the song? We will rejoice and be glad in. It's, it's great, right? Oh, this is the day. Change keys, right? And then you repeat it. That the Lord hath made. Oh, clap your hands. <laughs> anyway, I could go on for an hour with these like children's songs, right? But the point is this. is like, this is the day that the Lord had made. <laughs> what they're saying is that this is the day. There's a moment in time that a stone will be laid as a foundation. Some will trip. Some will stumble. But some will find a sure cornerstone, a foundation for their life to be built on. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What, what, what's, what's he saying? The Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. This stone, the Lord is great and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the honor of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. Read this one as well. The prophet Isaiah says this. He will be a sanctuary for the two houses of Israel. He will be a what? To stumble over, and a rock to trip over, and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Okay, so we get the picture here. That there's a stone that will be the foundation, the cornerstone for some, but a stumbling block for others. We have the psalmist. We have the prophet Isaiah, whose biblical writings we pull from with Isaiah 53, describing the crucifixion. Hundreds of years before it happens. You understand? Now, do you think Paul was the only one who caught this fly ball and who brought some weight to it? No. Watch this. Romans 9, verse 33. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Listen to the apostle Paul. As it is written, look, I am putting a what? A stone. Come on, y'all. Y'all, I'm already losing you. Come on. You're like, okay, we get it. It's a stone. <laughs> and I feel like I'm tripping over it, Pastor. Mm. <laughs> y'all walking away from your phones and your teeth. I'm telling you, hang in there with me. I, I can't be the only one excited about all these dots connecting. You know what I'm saying? Look at it, y'all. <laughs> I'm about to sign a demerit system with this whiteboard up here. You hear me? As it is written, listen to the Apostle Paul. Look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. You feel me? The ball's coming in. The prophet Isaiah, the psalmist, he had to act crazy to get to that place where he felt deliverance in the psalmist. He said, the Lord, you are our deliverer. 
You are our strong tower. We know that it's you. The same Yahweh from the Old Testament, the same figure is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Old Testament authors hit that ball out of the park, Paul and Peter are like, I get it. I understand. The stone is Jesus Christ. And Paul said, listen, the ones who believe on him will not be what? You think he's insane, don't you? But Peter says David wasn't insane. His Davidic kingdom inheritance is being given to him by God, and the Lord will see it through. Anyone who stumbles over it, they're the ones who are going to be put to shame. Now we can make our way to 1 Peter. Peter says this, verses 4 through 10. And as you come to him, a living what? You're a part of this thing. A living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by what? Yes. Everybody say it with me. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, yes. Come on. Living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. For it stands in scripture. Here's the quote. We just read it a bunch. See, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame, never. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, a rock to trip over. They will stumble because they what? Disobey the word. They were destined for this, but you, but you, but you, yes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were not a people, once you were not a people online, once you were not a people, you were not born into this. This isn't privilege. This isn't something that you bring uh, value and wealth to. This is something that the Lord gave you. Once we were not a child, once we were not in the family of God. But he has chosen us. He has picked us up out of our mess, out of our muck, out of our mud and planted our feet on a what? Rock. A rock. From the prophets to the psalmist to the apostles, the message is clear that he's either going to be something you stumble over or he's going to be something you stand on. And I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to stand on it. Why? Because those who believe in him will not, they will not be ashamed. I don't know where I'm at. You see that there are Jews that rejected the Davidic king. In this text, Peter is giving that parallel. They rejected, they thought he was crazy. But to reject Jesus is crazy. To reject Jesus is to reject salvation. To accept Jesus as your king, standing on the rock, is to accept a new birth into the royal family unto salvation. You see, there's so much more weight than... than I'm not, I'm not going out of the camera view long. Hold on, hold on. I'm coming back. When we lead you through the plan of salvation, these scriptures, and we, we lead you in a place where you give your life to the Lord, where you pray and you invite Jesus into your life, and, and this is what happens if you come down front and pray and ask and give the Lord your life, I'm seeing more than just this prayer. I'm seeing a transaction. 
I'm seeing you being lifted up onto a rock that now you can begin to build a life worth living, a royal life, a chosen race. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you online or in person have never given your life to Jesus, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's very simple. It's very simple. It's like knowing where to stand. But until you get out of the quicksand and onto the rock, your danger is imminent. Peter, Peter cues this up perfectly. I love the way that he pulls in the Old Testament and paints this beautiful picture that we are a royal family. Here's like the royals that we're concerned with, right? You know what I'm saying? Like on our Instagrams and stuff like that. And How many like following the royal family? Man, y'all are acting like people are going to publicly shame you. I saw about five or six go. <laughs> How many like following the royal family? Come on. Yes. Okay, it's okay. It's all right. The royal family. <laughs> Frank thinks it's funny. Here's what I see here. Listen, verse number nine, if you have your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, but you are a chosen race, a what? Royal priesthood. Listen to me. The royals, we experience how they live. They live another life. You see this helicopter in the background? That's primarily how royals travel. And I found out that they spent $6 million in 2019 just in traveling expenses, like fuel, things like that. $6 million. That's a lot of money. Just, watch this, just to travel. And here's what I'll say. You know, we are tethered to something. As a royal chosen generation, we are tethered to something that is older than time. We are a part of royalty, the family of God that travels differently. God has unsearchable riches. Do you know what that means according to scripture? It means that you can't count them. You can't number them. Everyone on this planet that's a royal, guess what? You can count their riches. You can balance those things, but the Lord's glory you can't balance. And I feel like the apostle, in a way that we really don't appreciate in 2021, but I feel like the apostle did his due diligence to give us the weight of the entire old covenant and the weight of all of how God was faithful to Israel all the way to, the, and even to this day, and yet we still choose to live for another kingdom. We still choose to bypass the royalty that the Lord has given to us and we're living like spiritual paupers. We go back to verse number one. I'll just take my anger when God could give you peace. I'll just take my sin when God could give you a, give you a life worth living. Let's really hone in. You, you with me? Let's hone in on how we're traveling at this very moment. You're a part, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have an opportunity to ride this Christian life in style, a royal nation. What does that look like for God? You're like, yeah, boy, give me some cash, duckies. That's what I can, no, no. It's not about the money. Y you see, people have tried to buy happiness with money, and how, how's that worked out for them? It never will. But you see, he has a certain way for us to travel. 
And so if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, there are two things I want to share with you today. Very simple, very simple thoughts of how we should travel. Here it is. Travel in truth. Turn to your neighbor and say, travel in truth. Travel in truth. Travel in truth. Listen to me. Stay with me right here. The theme in this chapter is believing. The, the stone that the builders rejected, some stumble over, but to the one who what? Believes will not be ashamed. Here's how we travel. We travel in truth. The theme is believing. What others have rejected, you have accepted. Let me, let me help you with something. We've been talking about this in small group. The world, some, people that want to do it on their own, cults, people that are trying to manipulate others, they'll try to explain to you that it's their truth, that it's their way, or there's many ways. The stone that the builders rejected, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by what? If that sounds exclusive to you, it's because it is. Maybe you've been leaning into other vehicles. Maybe you've been Ubering around on your spiritual journey just because you think it's fun. It's not fun. You're royalty. And when you pick other modes of transportation that are not proven, it could cost you your life. You think you can serve the Lord in your own truth? You think you can worship in your own power? No. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby, we must travel in truth. We have to. There are so many people, so many philosophies, so many agendas out there. Some of you feel like you have to travel as an American. You have to travel in truth. This nation will fail you. Your parents will fail you. You will fail others. But my God will never what? Never fail. We have to travel in truth. But I, Pastor Matt, I just don't understand. I was let down. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why I lost that person. I don't know why. What's happening is you're traveling through a spiritual journey. And the Lord says you have to travel in my truth. You see, I have an answer for every one of your problems, every one of your ailments. But as soon as you question the truth, you begin to get out of the vehicle. Some of you are miles away from the vehicle of truth. You've accepted a lie a long time ago. Maybe the lie is that you weren't good enough. You can't. The Lord wouldn't want to use you. The Lord would not, the Lord would not give an inheritance to you. No one's ever given you anything in this life. Everybody say, the devil's a liar. liar. Turn to your neighbor and say, the devil's a liar. He's he's a liar. I wonder what lie. I wonder what lie has got you trapped this morning. Just plain and simple. Number one, how about we just travel in truth? When you wake up tomorrow and you're like, I just can't do it this week. How about you let the truth kick you in the behind? Yes, you can do it. I just don't think they're going to receive what I have to say. 
it's not your truth, it's his truth. How about you just have some boldness to give it? We've got to travel in truth. Where's that thing at? This is the truth. Our Ford Fiesta ain't it. You feel me? It ain't it. The devil is a liar. Travel in truth, number two and last. Travel in style. Miss Grace, what's my favorite car, you know? I thought I told you. A Lincoln. Because she likes Lincolns. No, it's okay. No, we, we were joking about Lincolns one day. You drive a nice Lincoln. And I was talking about a Lincoln Continental. And my boy Matthew McConaughey. They're just something about driving a Lincoln. I can't do his accent, but it's just like so rich. And you're just like, yeah. Wherever you're going, I'm in. Anybody heard his Jim Scary? Jim Scary. <laughs> Anybody ever hear Jim Carrey's bit, uh, like, making fun of him? He's like, I'm driving my Lincoln, and I'm flicking a booger. No, anyway. Because <laughs> it's like his, his, you know, his Lincoln commercials, it's like they're so serious and so amazing. But, but that's, <laughs> that's riding in style, boy. I don't care who you are. Matthew McConaughey is riding in style. Someone tag him in this video real quick. No, I'm kidding. But I, I think it's funny that people that hate on him, right, they can make as many skits about him as they want. But my man's cool. And the car is cool. And everybody's hating on him because they can't be as cool as him. But I'm, I'm blown away by Christians that let the world define what type of style they should have. You think that the joy that the Lord gives you isn't cool enough, and so you have to retreat in conversations with the world? Travel in style. Don't be ashamed of your royalty that the Lord has given you. You can be at peace with suffering. You can travel through difficult moments in your life, and the Lord will give you grace. And watch this. Here's, here's what I love. I think it's, uh, I know it's in here somewhere. Oh, here it is. Verse number 10, and I leave you with this. Once you were not a people, <laughs> but now are. Once you were not a people, I may get excited for about two more minutes. Once you were not a people, but now are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have what? Received mercy. He's got the car. You, you have a full explanation of how to handle this life. Paul has given you 13 letters. Peter has expounded on what it's like to say the stone that they rejected. His name is Jesus. Woo, I got it. I know how to travel, and I'm going to travel in style. That style might have been Stephen being stoned. That style might be those that are submitting to an emperor named Nero that will kill them. But let me tell you something. What others thought was defeat was nothing but style. The Lord stood in heaven as Stephen was stoned, praising him. I think about what the, that message, what caused Jesus to stand at the throne. What caused Jesus at the right hand, seated at the throne of God to get him up off of his seat? The, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, got up out of his seat for Stephen being stoned as he entered into the throne room. That's traveling in style. Some of y'all are confused 
you got this prosperity garbage thinking that it's a car or a house or an amount of money. That's not style. Peace, grace, mercy that you have already obtained. That's right, style. Stop, stop believing the lie. Start traveling in style. How is that? Travel in the truth and travel in style. You've obtained mercy. Every head bowed, every eye closed.